Keeping Up with the Kardashians practically features the whole Kar-Jenner family. All eight of them. But it's really the three eldest sisters that hold the show together. Our chemistry together is just so amazing that people will definitely want to be a part of this family. You probably know the story by now. They were born into wealth, the daughters of successful attorney Robert Kardashian, who became best known for being on the defense team for his close friend, O.J. Simpson. People who don't watch the show or maybe just read the odd headline might say the women are just famous for being famous, trashy and far removed from their dad's highbrow circle. But honestly, they're wrong. You could argue the Kardashian sisters have surpassed their dad's influence. They've made deals with the president. I do have a a relationship with the White House, um, and we're still working on a lot of, hopefully, more clemencies. They've caused Snapchat stock to plummet with a tweet. They've made a name for themselves, selling lip kits and shapewear and denim. But they don't just sell stuff. They sell themselves. They're sexy, savvy, and frankly, branding geniuses. They have monetized influence, like, in a way that no one else has. And, like, that is an art form that has completely changed the way we consume, you know, everything from sneakers to makeup to media. And so, so funny that Famous for Being Famous, I'm like, I don't even know what that means. That's Amy Chosick. She wrote a long-form piece on the Kardashian empire for the New York Times in 2019. Amy's best known as a political reporter. She famously covered Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail. So when Amy's next interview subjects were the Kardashians, she says some colleagues gave her a little side eye. I think the kind of beltway, political establishment, the people that brag about never having watched the Kardashians, it's like, well, then you're not doing your job because there is a complete inner, like if you don't see the interconnectedness between our culture and the presidency, especially now, then you're really kind of missing, missing a major, major story. Like Amy said, they've monetized influence like nobody's business, but that didn't happen overnight. It took 14 years of hard work, or 20 seasons. The show is a job, but it's not just a clock in and clock out situation because they're invested in the outcome. I mean, their mom, Kris Jenner, pitched the show. They're often credited as executive producers. So if one of them phones it in, it becomes a big deal. Chloe and Kim confront Courtney about not pulling her weight on not just one, but two seasons of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. The first time is season 17. Kim and Chloe have become kind of suspicious of Courtney. They feel she's being secretive about her life. Maybe she's hiding a boyfriend. Courtney is kind of notorious for keeping her dating life private. So one day they decide to follow her. Chloe is driving the car, Kim is in the passenger seat. They're dressed in all black, and they follow Courtney into a neighborhood. Did we just pull up to some random house? She's in the Wait, driveway. wait, she's getting out, she's getting out. <gasps> wow, look at her outfit. Where is she going? Oh my God. What the f- They want to know who she's with. Assuming she's with a man she's dating. 
So they get out of the car and sneak around the side of the house into the backyard, where they run into Courtney. What do you think you're doing? Oh, we just came to lay out. Do you think it's funny? What are you doing here? I'm having a meeting. With who? For Poosh. About what? What does it matter? You, why are you guys so in my business? You guys are literally on my dick. Courtney says, I'm not hiding a boyfriend. And Chloe says, well, we wouldn't know because you don't share anything with us. But what Chloe really means is you don't share anything with the viewers. Just because you You love to show every single thing, because she likes to show every single thing. No, I don't like to. Well, you do, clearly. Because that's our job. It's such a meta moment on the show. Like, they're following her with the film crew to accuse her of not filming enough. Here's Kim. Our job is being open and honest and sharing a lot of ourselves. And it just seems like for the past few years now, Courtney hasn't really been open about her personal life on camera. So all of the days that Courtney isn't filming, Chloe and I are picking up the slack and having to share more. Because if we're not sharing our lives, then what is the show? This fight over work ethic, it's not the last we'll hear of it either. It reemerges the following season, and it gets physical. This time, they're in Chloe's house, all sitting around in a bedroom. Chloe, Kim, Courtney, Kendall is there too. And Kim makes a joke. She said Courtney wasn't a hard worker like her and Chloe. Obviously, this pissed Courtney off. Change the narrative in your mind. I work my f***ing ass off. I just, I, I don't want to hear this narrative anymore about this work ethic, and she's the only one with work ethic, and she's doing this, this, and this, as if she's better because she works more or because, like, it's such bullshit. We don't all have to do things the same way. Courtney throws something at Kim. It looks like a water bottle. Kim is on the ground, and Courtney is standing over her, and they sort of start wrestling. At first, it feels like a joke, but it is not a joke. Come the crew is ever. Then shut the f- up. Ever. You do it or shut the f- up. Ever f-ing dig your nails in me like that. Stop it. How f-ing old are you? They're clawing and slapping each other. Because one sister isn't oversharing and monetizing vulnerability like the others. That's what this episode is all about. How Keeping Up with the Kardashians created TMI television. Nothing is off limits. This is episode six, Keeping Up with the Kardashian Empire. Let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. 
seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. We all know the show as the super successful moneymaker. Ryan Seacrest created it with the Kardashian matriarch, Kris Jenner. For years, it was the most watched show on E! And to this day, it's one of the most watched shows on TV, period. But back in 2007, when it came out, the press wasn't exactly impressed. I thought I'd have Joanna read some old clips we dug up. The New York Times, October 13th, 2007. Keeping up with the Kardashians is, as the title suggests, a window into a family. A family that seems to understand itself only in terms of its collective opportunism. The Daily News, October 13th, 2007. The bottom line is that Kim Kardashian is cute in print, but vapid in action. She makes good pictures, but dull TV, just like her family. Woof. Harsh. Today, the show is sleek. The opening credits look like a runway show. But back when it started, it was campy. It had this whistly theme song that reminded me of 1950s family sitcoms. No, that is not cute. It was following in the footsteps of other mid-aughts reality shows that copied that family sitcom format but were unscripted. Like the Osbournes with Ozzy Osbourne, or Gene Simmons' Family Jewels, or Hogan Knows Best with Hulk Hogan. Here's Amy again. Chris was like, you will have, like, unfettered, this is our real family. There will be nothing fake, it's all on the table. Like, that was sort of her pitch to him. Chris pitched the idea to Ryan Seacrest, who was just getting his production company off the ground. That he, like, sent the producer to, like, Best Buy to buy a camera, like a a video recorder, because he didn't even have anything. The first thing they filmed was this pool party at Chris's house. But it was like such gold, these girls and their mom and their crazy family. And he just saw something instantly. Ryan and the producers, they watch this tape. It's essentially a sizzle reel. And they're like, oh, this is good. When it premiered, they knew some people would tune in just because of Kim. She was in the tabloids and the show wasn't shy about it at all. In this early scene in the first episode, Chris, who manages Kim, tells her she has the chance to go on the Tyra Banks show. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I love Tyra. I know. How cool would that be? There's just one little catch. What? You'd have to talk about the tape. You heard that right. It would be weird enough coming from a manager, but it's her mom. When I first heard about Kim's tape, as her mother, I wanted to kill her. But as her manager, I knew that I had a job to do, and I really just wanted her to move past it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's a little sadistic if you think about it too long. Like, Chris pitched this show while her daughter was in the midst of a sex tape scandal, and then she's like, well, let's leverage this scandal into an opportunity. Jesus. When Courtney found out about Kim going on Tyra, she helped her sister prep. I'm going to be Tyra, and you're going to be Kim Kardashian. So... What do you do for a living? Tell me. I own a clothing store and I'm a wardrobe stylist. Why did you make a sex tape? Because I was horny and I felt like it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Kim said moments before that the tape was released without her permission. So, I mean, it's nice she can look back and laugh, but truly it was messed up what happened to her. I just need to say that. But that clip is interesting for a lot of reasons. It shows their own self-awareness. They know that people don't take them seriously, think they don't have jobs. Although Kim grew up in a very privileged family, she's actually had a job since high school. Prior to the show, she would be caught in paparazzi photos with Paris Hilton because she was her personal assistant. In that first episode, it's clear that one of the major storylines is building Kim's brand. She's walking in fashion shows, posing in Playboy, launching a fragrance. She's framed as the ambitious one. Here's Amy again. You know, it's like now we tune in to see what we've already seen play out in the tabloids and social media, you know, ad nauseum. When we think of them now, we think of luxury, designer everything, airbrushed, facetuned perfection. But those early seasons were a little, should I say, simpler. I mean, they partnered with Sears. No offense to Sears, but those were the building blocks to get their name out there and to build their brand as a family. They had a plan. Dare I say, a business plan. Like when Kim's perfume launch causes a fight in season three. Thought I'd bring in Joanna again to talk about it. Chloe and Courtney are upset because she wants to call it dashing. Like the store they run together called Dash. We have a clip. What is the drama about using the name Dashing? Because Courtney and I work every single day at the stores. We let Kim take the credit and talk in all of our articles about Dash. Everyone thinks Dash is only hers. I think you guys have to stay united and realize that anything that either one of you does builds the whole Kardashian brand. Kim thinks they're overreacting and that her perfume deal could help them get deals. Yeah, but Chloe is not buying it. That's right. I don't want charity work, people. There's no, there's no charity work, Chloe. This is a long, long-term long plan could that's not been get discussed. A without me doing my perfume first, and that's what you have to realize. That's not true. Okay, wait a second. Pause. I know. They cut her off, so you almost miss it. But Chris says it. A long-term plan. We should say, though, that it is possible she's talking about the perfume deal. Yes, but we like to think it's actually her master plan. <laughs> yeah, like this is step four of like 500 steps to build the Kardashian empire. And luckily, we're not alone in this thinking. I think Chris did have like a long-term plan, you know, that she discussed with maybe not the younger girls, but definitely with Kim about like, we're going to use this to do X, Y, Z. And Kim was just like, every one, of, every one of my mother's plans like came true and then some. The Kardashian sisters, I mean, they do have a running start. Their dad, Robert Kardashian, was well-known, and Caitlyn Jenner, their step-parent, is a famous Olympian. Still, we do see them scrape their way from D-list to A-list, and there is something about that. Like, it's captivating to watch. We do see, you know, kind of lifestyles of the rich and famous um, throughout the series. But we also see them constantly working and strategizing about how to build their wealth. This is Lori Olette. She's a professor of media and cultural studies at the University of Minnesota. 
And so I think it suggests more of an idea of them, you know, taps into the idea if you work hard and promote yourself and are strategic, you can um, become wealthy and even more wealthy and continue along that trajectory rather than the idea of an inherited wealth or a position that came from those father figures. The five sisters exemplify female hustle culture. But it took years to get there. And there are key moments along the way that elevated their influence. Like when Kim married Kanye, Kylie launching her cosmetics company, or Kendall reaching supermodel status. Altogether, moments like this added up and brought them to a whole new level. We can't go through this episode without noting the enormity of the Carr-Jenner empire. You know, how Kim Kardashian sold more than $14 million worth of product in the first five minutes of her beauty launch in 2017. Or how Kendall made nearly $27 million for just 53 sponsored Instagram posts. Back to Amy. And there are completely legitimate criticisms of some of the things that they've sold and some of the decisions they make. But I think at its heart, there is a lot of sexism in terms of like viewing them as legitimate businesswomen. I think people have, not just that they're women, but that they're such sexualized women. Like people have a very hard time. Even my editors, when I propose writing about them as a serious business empire, it's, it's a hard thing to like our culture to get their head around. These like very sexualized women who are also marketing business geniuses. Sure, the show gives them a lot of exposure, but each episode may only get, let's say, a million views. Guess how many followers Kim has on Instagram? 199 million. Yeah. That growing influence, Kim went from a D-list celebrity to a Beyonce-level icon. Someone designers clamor to dress for the Met Gala. Their stories they started to carry more cachet. They were in the New York Times, on the nightly news. But that's when their TV show really came in handy, because now they had the power to tell their stories the way they wanted to, and get some ratings in return. More on that after the break. In late 2016, during a trip to Paris for Fashion Week, Kim was robbed by armed men in her hotel suite. Kim Kardashian, Matt, was staying at this very discreet luxury hotel here, described as a bed and breakfast for millionaires. There was one security guard on staff overnight, unable to stop armed men dressed as police officers from getting inside, tying her up, and stealing her jewels. It was everywhere. You had the New York Times, the Post, the Guardian. I mean, honestly, you name it. Everyone was covering it. While she did some interviews, Kim saved her sit-down for season 13 of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. It's moving and traumatic. They dragged me out to the hallway on top of the stairs. That's when I saw the gun, like, clear as day. And I was kind of looking at the gun, looking down back at the stairs. I was like, I have a split second in my mind to make this quick decision. Like, am I going to run down the stairs and, like, either be shot in the back, like, 
like makes me so upset to think about it. But like either they're gonna shoot me in the back. Or if I make it and they don't, if the elevator does not open in time, or the stairs are locked, then like I'm There's no way out. She thought she was going to die. I thought, like, okay, this is the moment they're going to rape me. And I fully, like, mentally prepped myself. And then he didn't. And he, like, duct taped my legs together. And um, then, you know, they had the gun up to me. And I just, like, knew that was the moment. They're just totally going to shoot me in the head. I just prayed that Courtney is going to have a normal life after she sees my dead body on the bed. Some people could see this as sad or exploitative, a way to monetize trauma. But I think it shows the connection they have with their fans, that they want to share even the darkest moments of their lives, when truly, they don't have to. It's raw. It's vulnerable. And we don't personally know Kim, but watching it, you want to give her a hug. And I think it's super fitting that the episode ends in a group hug of the three sisters, Chloe, Kim, and Courtney. Sisters that are often at odds, because that shit is real. It reminds us at the heart of this, the show is about a family. That was the show at its best. And I mean, the New York Times covered that. That was a giant, giant news event that she was robbed at gunpoint. But... You know, there's still things that we don't know. There's still things we didn't. What What are they talking about when she gets home? What? How does she confide with her sisters? And I think that was so powerful. It's like the behind the curtain, the scenes that are on the cutting room floor when you're just following it on the news. But they've also leveraged the power of the show to tell other people's stories. Like in season 15, Kim went to the White House to discuss prison reform. She was helping a woman named Alice Marie Johnson who was serving a life sentence for a nonviolent drug offense. Kim convinced President Trump to pardon Alice. And Kim had the chance to give her the news. We did it. You don't know? No, she doesn't know. You're oh. talking about the news. Oh my gosh, Alice, you're out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With Kim's help, Alice won her freedom. And with it, Kim reinvented herself too. Last year, she made a documentary for Oxygen called Kim Kardashian West, The Justice Project. And she's going to co-host a criminal justice podcast for Spotify. Kendall and Kylie have done some activism too, like when they tried to mobilize voters around the election. I don't know if you followed Kylie posting that, like, bikini shot that, that, that when you click on it, it's vote.org, and she, like, got millions of people signed up to vote. But they've made mistakes along the way, too. Like Kendall's Pepsi commercial and her PR for Firefest, Or Kim naming her shapewear company Kimono, which was quickly called out for appropriation, causing her to rename it Skims. And of course, they've been called out by everyone for appropriating Black culture. 
Model Kendall Jenner has found herself involved in another controversy in regard to one of her projects. A photo shoot for the November issue of Vogue magazine. Many people on social media are in an uproar after seeing the photos where Kendall's hair appears to be styled like an afro. This family is notorious for appropriating black culture. They do not have any grievance about it. Hello, is anybody in there? You need to stop trying to act like you the first person to ever have a booty because it ain't true. And let's be clear. Since the dawn of time, women have had bodies similar to Kim's. The difference is that she broke the internet with her paper magazine cover, popularizing curves for the masses. White masses. But on the other hand, maybe we should just stop commenting on women's bodies in the first place. Like, let them live. The last season of the show will be out in 2021. They surely have more tricks up their sleeves. Maybe they'll leverage their influence even more to produce more work where they call the shots. They just entered into a huge deal with Disney to produce quote-unquote new global content for Hulu. Guestimates for the deal are upwards of $150 million. Beauty brand Cody just bought a 20% stake in Kim's beauty line for $200 million. They're not just reality TV stars anymore. They're pop culture royalty. Okay, I'm going to say something crazy, but I think they are like the Vanderbilts or the Astors of the Instagram era. You know, I think that they will go down as one of these like defining families of our very strange, not always good, sometimes corrosive, but like very lucrative era. I think they were very specific to their era and they like they mastered it in the way that these like, you know, these kind of like storied families of different eras in American history have. I don't know. Am I being crazy? (laughs) I think you're right on the money. That's how I feel, exactly. They don't need the show anymore. With social media, they are at their fans' fingertips 24-7. They have more power over their story than ever before. But will fans miss the wacky Brady Bunch sensibility of keeping up with the Kardashians? Will the perfectly polished Instagrams be hard to connect with? Hard to tell. From here, they seem to be doing just fine. Next time on Spectacle. When Queer Eye for the Straight Guy came out in 2003, it rocked the country. I mean, SNL roasted them. Oprah had them on. Okay, there's there's hope hope there. Absolutely, he's got beautiful eyes there, but you can't see them behind all that hair. (laughs) But our mere existence in 2003 and claiming a queer identity was something that was shocking and groundbreaking. That's Jay Rodriguez, the OG culture guy. And even, you know, President Bush, who was very, very uh, against uh, marriage equality at the time, was talking about us lovingly. When the reboot came around a decade later, the new Fab Five wanted to do something completely different. Different from even what producers wanted. And I remember us being told to go in there and find everything wrong and pick everything apart and rip the house apart, and rip his fashion apart and, you know, find everything that's wrong with him. And we get in there and we just see this sad, broken, depressed little man and we were like, we can't do that. Like, 
Like, that's, that's mean. We're all, you know, genuinely pretty kind people. That's next time on Spectacle. Spectacle is a production of Neon Hum Media. The show is hosted and co-produced by yours truly. Lead producer Joanna Clay reported and wrote this episode. Jonathan Hirsch and Shara Morris are our executive producers. It was edited by Catherine St. Louis. Our associate producer is Chloe Chobel. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Andrew Epen for his original music. Laura Bullard is our fact checker. And special thanks to Raquel Gates, Vikram Patel, and Shauna Shiro. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at spectacle underscore pod. I'm Mariah Smith. See you next week.